Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. Today we are going to be touching on um, some difficult and confrontational issues. Um, it's one of those messages where we... Um, yeah, I know we each have different background, different experiences, different relationships, different people that we care about, um, different things in our own life that are going to come into play in what we're talking about today. And so I want us to be uh, very gracious as we approach these things today. Um, I want us to uh, know that I, I want you to know hearing from me that the things I'm going to say come from a place of love, even though in our culture it might seem like that's not the case. Um, but what, what I'm going to say today comes from a place of um, I love you guys. I love your families. I love the people that you care about. I love the people in our community who totally disagree with me on what I'm going to say today. Um, but I'm saying what I'm saying out of love uh, for all of those people. Okay? Um, you're like, wow, what are, what are we talking about? Well, I'm going to give you even some more caveats before we get into the, the message today. All right? Um, one, just a couple reminders for us. Let's keep this in mind as we go into what we're going to talk about today. We are all broken people who have done broken things, and we all need the grace of Jesus to restore and mend what we have broken. Okay? If we can remember that, and we can have that as our groundwork, our framework, before we go into anything else, and when we're specifically we're talking about certain ways certain people might experience brokenness, like let's just remember we're all on that common groundwork. Number two, there is conflict and tension between what our world takes pride in and what God takes pride in. There is conflict and tension between what our world, our culture takes pride in and what God takes pride in. So let's, let's remember that as we approach these things. Number three, when following Jesus in a world that is in conflict with him, we need to walk in the spirit with wisdom, discernment, grace, and love. All right? So if we approach these things um, out of our own pride or out of our own arrogance or knowledge or, or even say, I've got the truth and I'm going to beat you in the head with it, but yet we don't have love, we don't show grace, then we're not representing Jesus. And so now you're really saying, what in the world is he going into? He's like, you know, some of you are saying, I looked ahead, Wayne. Like, I know where we go. We go next place in scripture. And we're on Jacob and his wives today. Like, where are you going with this? And uh, last week, uh, I was after the service, some of our longtime members were talking with me. And they, they made the comment. They said, uh, yeah, it's, it's good. Like, our, you know, our church is not a woke church. You know, you're, you're not a woke pastor. And, and, uh, and I just commented back and I said, well, I think I'm awake. 
Like, I don't, I don't usually sleep through while I'm preaching. Um, but it was a joke, you know, I, I get what they're saying. Um, but today is definitely one of those path messages where we would not fit into that mold in that category. Um, and as we do proceed with today's message, I want to encourage us to even be very careful. I love it when I'm preaching and you guys give me some feedback. I love it when you throw an amen out there or yeah, or I agree or, or whatever. Um, but I want to encourage you, even as we're approaching this message today, as we talk about some of the things, be very wise in even how you respond back to me today. Because some of the things we're talking about hit very, very close to home, as in in the homes of several of the people in our church. And I, I know that if I know some of the ones that this hits close to home with, then there's even more of you that this hits close to home with, okay? And uh, including myself, like I have family members who I love and I care about who fit into the things that we're going to be talking about today. So just let's be very sensitive to the other people in the room, even as we respond to the message today. My fourth reminder I want to give us before we proceed is we love each other in Christ and we want to encourage and support one another no matter what our struggle is. Okay? So let's, if we can have that groundwork, that framework as we proceed forward, then, then we can have some common ground to work on. So if you haven't figured it out, here's where we're going. Um, you pretty much can't go anywhere in our town. You can't watch anything on broadcast TV. You can't on social media without knowing that this month has been chosen as Pride Month. When our culture says this is the month where we take pride in the, this group of things, right? And... And so as our culture says that, it's been interesting over the years to watch as they've adapted and adjusted how they label what it is that that we're to take pride in, right? Um, So now it's, the the common one now is LGBTQ+, right? Um, I, I really appreciate the fact that they finally just quit putting more letters on and just threw a plus on there that said like, whatever else you want to you wanna throw into this camp, like here you go, here's your plus. You can throw all of it in right here. And I want to focus in on that plus this morning. Um, and I want to propose to you that that plus means any of these things, any of this thing in, in this area of life that is going outside of God's design outside of the way that God created things to be, okay? And I'll, I'll go back to where we were a few weeks ago. Um, I made, made the point of uh, going back and, and looking at what was God's design for sex. God's design for sex was from before the fall. It was one man, one woman, four life, together, sing, just that, solo only option. That was God's design. And you know what he said before the fall, before sin came in and made all things broken? He said it was good. And so done in the way that that God says for it to be done, it's a good thing. It's a gift from him. It's a beautiful thing, right? And 
and what our, our culture and our world has done because we, we do sin, because we struggle with sin, is we've taken that good thing and we've corrupted it and we've broken it in so many different ways and made it so distorted in so many different ways. And, and so I propose to you that that plus would include what we look at today in Genesis. That all the way back in Genesis, you're dealing with the same issues of LGBTQ+. You're like, wait, huh? Wait, wait, Jacob marries women. I don't know if you know that. He's a man, he marries women. Yes, but he marries women, plural. And I think that is outside of God's design and outside of what God really wants to see happen. Um, and so I would propose, propose to you that the plus, and there's even those out there today that they don't necessarily lump themselves in with this group, um, but they're definitely proposing the plus includes polygamy, right? That's definitely out there. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know that he would group himself in with the LGBTQ plus group, but like, think about like Nick Cannon, like he's very proud of like, how many kids is he up to? Is it like 18, 19 something now with how many different women, right? Like, I mean, this is still very much a thing in our culture and very much a thing in our, our society. He might not have technically married them all, um, but he's very proud of how many kids he has uh, from so many different sources. Um, and and I, I propose to you that this is a place where our culture and what our culture says is right is in conflict with what God says is right. Okay? And so as we look at this story of Jacob and what happens with Jacob and what, what transpires in this passage, I think we can see a lot of what's going on in our own culture in this as well. And then the conclusion we're going to try to get to is, let's see how well this works out for Jacob. And then maybe we'll consider how well is this going to work out for our culture. Okay? So we're in Genesis chapter 29, now that I've set all that up, and you're all like, what in the world did I come to church for this for today? Genesis 29. Then Jacob went on his journey. So what's just happened, he, was just, he just had this incredible moment with God where he had this vision, the ladder, angels going up and down, the whole thing we covered last week. Awesome spiritual high moment. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the, field, in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone of the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. And Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? And they said, We are from Haran. And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. And he said to them, is it well with him? I mean, he's made this whole journey. He doesn't see his uncle. He doesn't even know his uncle's still alive, right? Like, think about that. Is it well with him? And they said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. And he said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. Jacob knows about taking care of sheep, okay? He's like, what are you guys doing? They said, we cannot until the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well, then we water the sheep. 
While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. I'll tell you, like, guys don't change, right? Okay? Like, big rock usually takes multiple of them to move it out of the way. Jacob came to find a wife from his uncle's family. Hmm, his daughter, pretty girl. Hmm, I move rock. And, uh, and so he just moves the rock out of the way, right? Like, hey, baby. And then he gives her a kiss. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him, embraced him, and kissed him, and brought him into his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. And Laban gave his his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah And Jacob Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? And Laban said, is it not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn? Complete the week for this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. And Jacob did so. And completed her week. And then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. And Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And served Laban for another seven years. And so, we have, I mean, I know, I know some of you guys really like your romantic comedy movies. Um, or, you know, your... Um, romance novels or whatever like this is this is epic romance novel right here right like I mean Jacob comes in basically love at first sight he's oh my goodness I I just I just I want I I seven years no problem I'll work seven years for her yeah that's awesome then big plot twist Laban throws in the weak-eyed one right Poor Leah, right? Like, for all of eternity, she's known as the, one, the woman with weak eyes. Like, I mean, what was up with her eyes? Were they really that bad? I mean, it's just like, 
yo, Laban, I can't even make contact with the woman. Her eyes are all over the place. Like, what is this, right? Uh, I don't know. We just know it says she's got weak eyes. Like, poor lady. Like, what's, what, 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 what was going on here? And what we see happen is, did you catch Laban's justification for why he did the switcheroo? Here's what he said. He said, it is not so done in our country. Basically, what he's saying is, this is what our culture says is right. This is what our culture says is right. I'm supposed to give you the the firstborn first, and then, yeah, you can have the other one, and oh, yeah, I'll throw some other women in there with them too, servants, whatever, yeah, you know, whatever you want, I'll, you know. And Jacob, being Jacob in this moment, instead of saying, you know, I don't think that's what God wants me to do. What Jacob says is, okay, right? Seven more years, okay, I'll do that. And right here in this story, we see the conflict between culture and between God, right? And in our culture, we should expect to see the same, that when our culture says, this is what we think is right, this is what we take pride in. That's not necessarily what God thinks is right and what God takes pride in. And so, so as we, we look at this, we, I just want to, you know, foreshadowing of what's to come in this story. When culture trumps the word of God, you have a problem. When in our lives, we let culture and what our society says trump and go over what we know that God has said, then we have a problem. And I know this is, this is a, a very real thing today. This is um, especially uh, for, for younger believers, for sure. Um, you know, my generation and down, especially this issue of the LGTQ plus stuff is like, how do we engage this? Because we love these people. We care about these people. I grew up with this person. This person's in my family. I care about them. I love them, right? And, and so as we engage these things, it's, it, it is a struggle to look at it and say, I, I love this person and I love what's going on there. Or maybe this person is even you. Maybe this is a struggle in your own life. And you're saying, I, I want to love Jesus. I love Jesus, but I have this struggle in my own life. I have this pull in my own life. I have this, if I can be so bold, this brokenness in my own life. Let me tell you, the whole message of the gospel, the whole message of the Bible is the fact that we are all broken. My deepest, sincere, I don't, I don't even know, I hate that the, the, the struggle that some people have in their brokenness is this specific one because it is a very, very difficult brokenness to deal with and to sort through. But all of us have taken on this brokenness in some way, and all of us experience the consequences and the effects of this brokenness in some way. And I want to encourage you that the answer is Jesus. Because he's the one who has come to heal and mend and restore what is broken. 
And so even though my brokenness might not look like your brokenness, we're equally broken. Except for Jesus coming in and healing and restoring and putting back together what we in our sin have broken. Okay, so Jacob, he's done 14 years serving his father-in-law to get these women. And let's see how this works out, okay? This, this whole polygamous situation. Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, like, what? Like, that is a strong word. Like, Leah is hated. Like, her dad just pawned her off on this guy. And now the rest of her life, she's in this relationship where she's like, man, he hates me. Like, he, he didn't ever want me. And when the Lord saw that, he opened her womb But Rachel was barren, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. I gave him a son, he's going to love me now. Well, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard, I am hated. Wait, I thought he was going to love her after the first one. Well, now we're on a second one, and she's still hated. He is giving me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Like, think about that. If you knew you were named by the fact that your mom felt hated, right? (laughs) That's rough. Um, Again, she conceived and bore a son. And so this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again. And bore a son, and it seems like at this point she's just over her husband by this point. And she said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. And who do we know came from the line of Judah? Jesus. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And even in Judah's birth, his mom was over the fact of the situation she found herself in. She said, I'm just going to praise the Lord. We see great, great faith from Leah here in this moment. Well, going on, I'm sorry, we're going to read a good bit of scripture today, but I hope you're okay with that. When when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister and she said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. Jacob's had enough at this point. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. So, hey, the dysfunction, the brokenness isn't working well enough already. Let's just break it some more. Let's make it worse. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And then Rachel said, God has judged me and also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. And Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I've wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. Like, can you imagine living in this household? So she called his name Naphtali. So Naphtali means 
mom thinks she beat up her sister. Well, when Leah saw that she had, had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. She's like, oh yeah, you can do that. I can do that too. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's serpent Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Anybody had mandrakes lately? Anybody? Anybody? I had to look up what these were, okay? So mandrakes were a, a fruit. Um, you, I think you can eat both the fruit and the root. And they were an aphrodisiac, okay? Um, and so they definitely fit in to the situations of what's going on in the story. Um, so, uh, so son uh, goes out, Reuben, he finds these mandrakes. Um, and he brings them to his mother. And then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes, right? Like she still doesn't have any kids. And she's like, hey, those might help. I want some of those so I can have kids for myself. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Like, okay, fighting over fruit, got it. Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. Okay, very healthy situation here, all right? One sister wife buying a night with the husband off the other sister wife with the use of fruit that her son found in the field, okay? That's exactly what's going on here. And when Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. I mean, she's got the sweet talk going, right? She knows how to butter him up. So he lay with her that night and God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bore a daughter and called her name Dina. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. Now, I want to ask you, how many of you want to sign up for that? Anybody? Anybody say, you know, that is the life that I want. Just that craziness, right? Like, that is a whole lot of crazy going on right there, okay? And I think what we can see here in this passage is that when we don't follow God's design, we experience the consequences of brokenness. When we don't follow his design, we, we see it not work out well. And, and so I, I want to encourages that, that maybe we haven't gone down the road of 
two sisters and their servants all being married to the same man and, you know, brokering for time with their husband at night and that kind of stuff. Like, maybe we haven't gone all the way over there, but we have gone down the road of brokenness. And maybe it's in this area of sexual things. Maybe it's in other areas. But if we ever come at these things with a, a spirit of arrogance and pride, as if like we've got it all together and we're just judging those who are outside saying, hey, you guys really need to get your act together, then we got a problem. I think that's where Christians, we get a bad rap in our society is because even though we might know the truth of what God's word says, the way that we present it might come across kind of rough. Which leads us to some important questions. Because if we believe that the things that our culture is saying take pride in right now are things that are of brokenness that will have consequences that lead to brokenness consequences, then if, if, if we truly believe that, then how do we lovingly engage those people in order to share with them the hope that is found of restoration in Jesus? How do we go about that? I've seen Christians take a lot of different approaches here. Um, and I'm not saying any of these are completely right or completely wrong. Well, the first one might be pretty wrong, but the first one is just full acceptance. And I've, I've seen this, uh, where, uh, basically what even some people that were, have been mentors to me in ministry have made shifts and have gone into a different path and are, are now in the place of saying like, you know, LGBTQ plus, like you know, full acceptance, no problem. You know, Jesus just loves you. Um, And so whatever you do, that doesn't matter. And they even go so far as to take the passages of scripture that speak on these things and they rationalize them away. Um, They basically take them out of God's word. Um, And that's a problem, right? When we let the culture dictate what's right and what's wrong, and we take God's word and we twist it and adjust it to make it fit, that's a problem. That's not going to work out well in the end. In my opinion, that's not very loving to take what God has said and subtract from it in order to appease people or make them feel better. A second group and that I, an approach I see Christians take is kind of the head in the sand approach. Like, you know, like if, if I just ignore it, it'll go away, right? Like, like I, I, I just don't want to deal with this. I don't want to see this. I don't want to interact with this. Uh, I'm just going to stick my head in the sand and not, not have to worry about it, right? And again, I don't know if that's the most loving thing for helping people who are struggling with brokenness when we have the answer to brokenness in Jesus. Another group that I see are what, what I'd call the truth weaponizers. And this is the group that they know the truth and they want to use the truth and they're going to let everyone know that they know that they know the truth. And they don't really seem to care if they offend you or the way that they speak the truth. And honestly, when compared to scripture, they can seem more like the Pharisees than a Christ follower. So I don't think we really want to fall into that group either. A fourth group is the the cultural separationist. 
What I mean by that is this is a group that just wants to withdraw from any part of the world that takes pride in the brokenness, right? So like, we're just, we're just going to be completely separate. We're going to set up our compound over here on the hillside, and we're just going to have like our group of people that are like-minded with us. And, and if, if any of them want the gospel, we got it. It's up here on the hill. They just got to come find us through uh, the 10 layers of gates and barbed wire and all of our guns pointing at them. And, but we'll share the gospel with them once they get through all of that, right? I'm joking, okay? Um, but it's, it's a real draw, in us. And, and I would be lying to you if I, I don't say that I could see myself in all four of these categories at certain points in my life. And maybe even in the same day where I, I have these approaches, I have these, I lean this way, I lean this way, or what, I don't, I don't know. Now, as I said, I don't really think any of these are really the right approach, but I think we are guilty of falling into them if we're honest as Christians. So what is some biblical guidance that can help us navigate these things? All right, can, can you guys stick with me for a little more Bible? Is that okay? All right. When we, especially engaging this issue, let's be driven by love. Our concern is out of love for whoever it is and however they're dealing with whatever it is. And, and so Mark 12, 29 to 31 says this. It says, Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. This is what Jesus says, the greatest commandment. First, love God, God with all that you are. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. I want to ask you, with yourself, if you're dealing with brokenness in your life, how do you want someone to love you? If you're dealing with brokenness that is known to lead to bad consequences or, or, or a tough outcome, how do you want someone to love you? I might not like it in the moment, but what I really want is for them to warn me. I might not take it well. I might push back on it. I might say nasty things. But how I would like for someone to love me in that situation is to warn me. To speak the truth into my life with whatever it is. And the first one is love God with all that we are. And so we want that for other people as well. And, and Jesus made it very clear that love materializes in obedience. In John fourteen fifteen, he says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so for the person that says, yes, be a Christ follower, and you don't have to really worry about any of that stuff, like just leave it alone. You know, you can do that and be Jesus too. Like that plus Jesus, right? Maybe Jesus just fits in the plus. Yeah, there you go. No, Jesus covers the plus. He redeems the plus. He restores the plus. He fixes the plus. He puts things back together. And when he does, then we're to keep his commandments. We're to walk into a, in obedience to him. And I, heard it, I hear it said a lot in our culture against Christians of, oh, well, you're just bringing up Leviticus. 
right? Like, why, why, why are you going to Leviticus and pulling out this one thing about LGBTQ+, um, whereas you, you're not listening to what Leviticus says about what you eat? I know. I look at you. You're right. I do not follow the Levitical lo- code on what to eat. Sorry. Yeah, you can laugh now. That's fine. Um, it's at me, so that's good. Um, but is, is that really where we go to in Scripture? Is that really the only place we see that God talks about these things? Well, no, it's not. In fact, post-Jesus, it's very much clarified in several passages um, about these things. But before we get to that, I want us to define love. Okay, because what we're saying is we want to be loving. So one of the best definitions of love is in 1 Corinthians 13. And it says this. If I speak in the tongues of men of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up to my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. That especially applies to what we're talking about right now. Love does not take pride in what is wrong. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, they'll pass away. But love bears all, endures all. And so as we, we say, like, yeah, what we want to do in engaging the subject is love people, that's what we're talking about. And so love does not mean that you just put the truth away. No, the love, love means you, you stand on the truth. That it, you rejoice with the truth. You do not rejoice with wrongdoing. And so what are some of these other passages that talk about this issue? Galatians 5 Um, Starting in verse 16 says this, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. See, it's very real. He's saying, these are things you're going to want to do. This is part of your flesh. This is still part of who you are. This is still going to be ingrained in there. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Here's what he says. These are the things that are against God. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. What does sexual immorality mean? Everything out of that one man, one woman for life kind of thing we're talking about. So this is where we bring brokenness into the equation. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. 
He's saying these are the things of the flesh. These are things that are not good. These are the things that are broken. These are the things that are going to have bad consequences. And he said, I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a major warning. If you love someone, then you want them to inherit the kingdom of God. So for someone to be marked by these things, living in these things, walking in these things, and for us not to warn them is not loving. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So Paul is saying here, he's like, yeah, there's a broken mess that is our world, that is our society. And that's, that's what it is. And even as a Christian, even as a Christ follower, you're going to have a draw to fall back into these things. But don't do it. Because here's the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what we want to see coming from our lives. We need to discipline ourselves to walk with the Lord and walk in obedience to him. Another passage that makes it even more clear is 1 Corinthians 6, where he says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He starts off with this. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute overcomes one body with her, becomes one body with her. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you're bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So for the Christ follower, Paul's making it pretty clear that, hey, here's, here's what we need. We, we need to follow God with our body. We need to follow him with our sexual ethic. You think our culture is bad? Like Galatia, Corinth, like just straight up, that's how they worship their gods, was just straight up orgies. Like that's just what they did. This was just common practice in their culture, in their society. This is what their culture said was right. They took pride in these things. And for the Christ follower, we say, 
no to these things. We say these things are things of the flesh. These things are not things of the spirit. A big, big statement out of that passage we just read was where Paul says, and so were some of you. There's hope. The common vernacular today, the common saying today is, this is who I am. This is my identity. Accept me, love me for who I am. Some will even go so far as to say, and I've had it said to me, God made me this way. Right? Any of you ever heard anything like that? Any of you ever thought something like that yourself? And the, the fact is, it's like, yeah, that might be exactly who you are. You might have been born that way. In fact, all of us are born that way. All of us are born into the plus. We're born into sin. We're born into brokenness. We're born into doing things apart from and separate from God. And so the question is, when we find ourselves in brokenness, what are we going to do? Are we going to revel in it? Are we going to take pride in it? Or are we going to see that, hey, this is not a good thing? And what I need is I need to be restored. I need to be made whole. I need to be made right with God. And the way to do that is through Jesus Christ. And what Paul is telling the people at Corinth is, hey, remember when I came and brought the gospel to you? I know you guys. You are messed up. You're messed up people. You're broken people. But not anymore. Because Jesus has brought you out of that. He has restored. He has made whole. He has mended what was broken. And I want to tell you, Jesus is still in the practice of doing that today. Whatever your form, whatever your, your, your flavor of brokenness it is that, that your life is drawn to, that your body is drawn to, I want to encourage you that Jesus can come in and restore and make whole and make right what is broken. And whatever that is for somebody that you love, somebody that you care about, Jesus is still able to come in and love and, and restore and make right that which is broken. So let's continue to walk in love. Let's continue to care for these people, to show the love of God to these people. Let's not be spreading hate. Let's not be spreading judgment in these ways, but let's be people who stand on love and truth and not be afraid to speak the truth. Because our culture has said those things are in contradiction to each other. Why? Because they've hijacked the term love. If you love, then you don't offend. But the reality is, if you love, then you speak truth. And sometimes, when we're not walking in truth, the truth offends. And so when I... I know when I, I come to a passage like this, this is uh, a sermon like this, this is one of those ones where pretty much I'm going to offend everybody, right? Because like some, some people are over on this end, and they're like, well, you didn't go far enough with that, right? And other people on this end, you're like, well, that was way too judgmental, right? But where I'm coming from as a pastor is this is what I see in God's word is the truth. And I want to give it to you. And I want him to use it in your life as he sees fit. Okay, And so if I offended you today, I probably offended myself too, okay? 
But let's speak the truth in love to a world that desperately needs the answer to its brokenness while not forgetting that we too were once the same. Okay? Let's speak the truth in love to a world that desperately needs the answer to its brokenness while not forgetting that we too were once the same. Maybe there's somebody that's, with this, what we've been talking about there, maybe there's a specific person that's really on your heart that you just want to lift up to the Lord. Say, say Jesus, I want, I want them to have the same hope in the, in the sacrifice that you made that I have. Jesus, will, will you please come in and mend what's broken in their life? Will you bring them to that place? Let me just pray for us. And Jesus, we, we thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. That you are the way that we get to come to the Father. And I, th- I thank you for taking what's broken in my life and the way that I continually mess it up and you mend it and put it back together and fix it. And I thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you for your grace that covers me. I thank you for your mercy. Lord, I pray for our society. I pray for our world. I pray that more and more people will know the hope that is found in you, the grace that is found in your mercy, the the truth that is found in the fact that you died on a cross paying the price for our sins so that we could be made right with you. Lord, as as our culture, as our society takes pride in things that are contrary to you, Lord, I pray that you will bring them to a place of humbleness and realizing the need they have for you. Let them see the fact that things that they are taking pride in are broken things that lead to more broken things that lead to more brokenness and more pain and more hurt. And so, Lord, I pray that instead of of people continuing down these paths of justification and and, and everything of, of what they're doing, God, I pray you just bring them to yourself and you restore them and you make them whole. Lord, let us be people of love. Let us be people who speak the truth in love. And I'll lift this all up in your holy name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel yourself.